The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. IGN Playlist is a new home to your game library. Rate games, share lists, and log your game time, powered by How Long to Beat. Sign up for early access today at playlist.ign.com. Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dorbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show, where we cover all the latest and greatest in the world of PlayStation and the gaming industry, because what we're talking about this week pertains to everyone, but it is still also very important to PlayStation. Uh, We do have a lot to talk about this week that we're going to get into, but before we do, I'm joined this week by Jada Griffin. Hello! I am excited to talk about all the Nintendo news. I'm a wrong podcast, wrong podcast. PlayStation, X- Xbox, PlayStation, PlayStation stuff, yes. Ba- I mean, yes. Banjo-Kazooie is coming out, so that's all Banjo-Kazooie, right? That's, that's what I'm talking That's what the about. PlayStation that's fans want to hear about. That's what I was invited here for, my speed exactly. running abilities and Banjo-Kazooie. Speaking of speed runs, we have the master of, of, of the speed run scene at IGN, at least when it comes to Super Mario 64. Man, we keep bringing up Nintendo. Mark Medina is here with us this week as well. Yeah, sup nerds. Yeah, I was I was out last week. I was locked in a dungeon. Still in that dungeon, but now I have fiber, so I'm back. That's a very bright dungeon you have there. I know. And they I got food and I got coffee. It's it's honestly like it's I love it. It's just an apartment. Yeah, so <laughs> it, Wait, it might just be a house. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> did you, but I do, do have a prison it? guard. I do have a prison guard. It's, it's Fair Amanda. Enough. She's my prison guard. So. That makes sense. She she does run a, a tight ship, I assume. Yep. Uh, we're also joined this week by Matt Kim. Hello. Hi. Uh, I... He's got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was a lot that was, to follow. Okay. That might have been the greatest intro I've ever heard. That, that was, was fantastic. Uh, no, was Matt, great. don't worry. You'll have plenty to talk about later uh, when we get to what we're playing because you finished uh, a very, very big PlayStation yes. <laughs> game. Yes, I did. Uh, very but, excited to talk about it. But before we get to your talk of God of War Ragnarok, of course, <laughs> uh, we do have a lot to talk about this week. And the first thing that we want to talk about is obviously the biggest news of the week slash year slash probably decade. Um, and uh, of course, as we've talked about big things like this, uh, I'll get into a little bit of why we think it's important to cover here. But we are going to be jumping into the sort of ramifications of the uh, probably deal that you saw of Xbox planning to acquire Activision Blizzard 
uh, by either later this year or middle of 2023, depending on when the deal closes. Uh, we're going to talk about that sort of in the context of what it means for PlayStation, because, you know, we talked about the the Bethesda deal last was it last year or two years ago? Uh, we talked about that deal, I think, two years ago uh, on the show as well. And and I know some people can be like, well, why are we talking about Xbox buying a company? Well, when it comes to PlayStation, Call of Duty is without a doubt one of the best-selling games on PlayStation every year. It is. So, it some is, of those games are on PlayStation. <laughs> some of those games are, but some of them are also some of the biggest games on PlayStation. They also create really interesting questions for PlayStation if they are no longer, which is sort of the expectation that we're working with here. Um, So, yes, uh, with Activision being acquired by Xbox, that means Xbox will own Call of Duty, uh, all of Blizzard, which would include Overwatch, which means Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 most likely would go console exclusive for Xbox. Uh, they also, uh, less to an extent for the PlayStation audience, but will own King, the the mobile uh, outlet that does you know, a little game called Candy Crush. But as Play- PlayStation moves into the mobile market, it now gives Xbox direct competition with PlayStation in that market. But we're sort of here to talk about the the fact of what this means for for PlayStation, because I think it's fair to say, and and I'm curious, just sort of your all initial reactions. I feel like in addition to the, whoa, this is a massive news thing, one of the most frequent things I saw, at least when I was going through Twitter, was just always people going, how does PlayStation respond? Who does PlayStation buy? What does PlayStation do? Does this mean PlayStation is dead? Uh, amusingly, I saw on like the trending topics, PlayStation was trending higher at times than Xbox throughout the day because people were mm-hmm. wondering, what does this mean for PlayStation? And so we obviously don't have those answers. The only people who have those answers are the people who run PlayStation. Uh, you know, it, it's obvious a question of how much they maybe knew a deal like this might be in the works, given they work with Activision, um, how much this caught them by surprise, what they plan to do going forward. And so we want to want to explore some of the ideas and and thoughts about what, you know, from our perspective covering PlayStation, talking about PlayStation, what we think this means for the PlayStation scene, because, um, you know, I think it's fair to say a lot of PlayStation players buy PlayStations to play Call of Duty. They buy it to play, as the sales charts show from 2021, they buy it to play NBA, Call of Duty, and then maybe some of the first-party exclusives as well as, you know, what you can get on PlayStation Plus. Call of Duty, like, cannot be understated, even in what I think people call a quote-unquote down year for Vanguard in terms of sales Mm -hmm. or things. It cannot be overstated how much of the PlayStation ecosystem is built around a place of Call of Duty as being a game people come to their PS4s and now PS5s to play. Um, You know, there's there's a long history now, especially throughout the PS4 generation, I'll get to all of you in a second, I promise, uh, of the, I just want to sort of set the stage, of, you know, PlayStation getting DLC first for uh, Call of Duty, getting, you know, exclusive perks, things like that. Uh, it is a thing that I think for years, not just on this show, but uh, on on our, our our friends over at PS I Love You, I know, I know have said this a bit in the past, uh, PlayStation never really worried about first-person shooters in the last generation because Call of Duty was there. Mm-hmm. Now Call of Duty is not there, so it creates an interesting genre problem as well. So I want to dive into all of that stuff, and and I want to start off because I know we we talked about you know preparing for the show yesterday, and so Mark, I do want to start with you because I do think you have uh, quite a quite a direct sort of response to this question. But I guess just off the bat, what do you? D- does PlayStation need to do anything immediately in response? Do they need to acquire a bunch more studios? Do they need to go buy a Square Enix or a Ubisoft or an EA? 
Do they need to do anything immediately? Are they worried? What do you think? Sure. Short answer is no. Uh, these big publishers scooping up and, and it becoming what John Davison so lovingly put as not a console war, but a content war is it becomes this dangerous thing where Xbox is going to own a bunch of exclusives. PlayStation is going to own a bunch of exclusives. And I honestly don't know if that's the world people want, but it's it's not the world that I want. My gut reaction is if they were to counter this, they could do something insane like buy Square Enix, right? Because a lot of those games are already usually exclusive to PlayStation. Uh, or they could buy Capcom. Then they would have Resident Evil and stuff. This deal has made it where almost nothing's off the table. You used to think, could they really acquire something like Take-Two and own Grand Theft Auto? Of course they couldn't do that. And then Xbox comes and buys Blizzard and Activision, and you're like, okay, never mind. <laughs> anybody can buy anybody. There's there's no stopping them. It's um, it's broken the seal in a weird way. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was, yeah. Mm. The, the, the Zenimax thing was already, like, nuts. But this is this is insane, right? This This is really insane even from a value standpoint right the bethesda deal was huge and it was seven billion dollars and this is 70 billion dollars right so it's it's just it's it's mind-blowing when you think about it but i don't think so because uh as as you know i you know you have the right answer based on how well your tweets do and so i put out a few <laughs> tweets yeah and that's the how one the, the one that is you know, has like 4,000 likes or whatever is the one where I said, this doesn't really worry me at all because PlayStation has such a strong lineup, right? There's really nothing from Activision that I'm like, oh no, this won't come to PlayStation anymore, I guess, except for Call of Duty, where PlayStation, they don't have to immediately counter. They're going to counter in two weeks when Horizon comes out. And later this year, when God of War Ragnarok comes out, like they still have these huge franchises. I don't think they're necessarily like, losing a whole lot or need to play catch up it, it, i feel like it's more on the other side where xbox is kind of playing catch up um so no i i would say <laughs> my my gut reaction right now is that they don't need to respond by making their own big purchase i think they're kind of playing the long game they've been acquiring things like house mark and blue point and uh, i i think they're in a very good position right now despite what Twitter, Twitter trends will tell you. <laughs> um, and and also our, our producer, Kate, is wonderfully reminding me, I think I did, I did want to also bring up that we'll talk about a little later, is sort of the odd changing of hands that once PlayStation stalwarts Crash and Spyro are now <laughs> essentially becoming Xbox franchises. And we can talk to, about that to a lesser extent. But no, Mark, I, I think you're right in terms of like what this means for PlayStation players is most that Call of Duty won't probably be on i think we can talk about um you know there's some vague language that phil spencer gave and, and matt you can tell me if i'm off the mark but essentially that they are not going to take away communities from players but it's sort of one of those like language things where it's like yeah but we're going to make everything exclusive going forward once we own the company we just can't say that right now it was the same sort of deal with like bethesda where they were like we're mm -hmm. evaluating things on a case-by-case -case basis and then Starfield is exclusive and Redfall is exclusive. And, you know, we're going to get to a place where everything from Bethesda is exclusive to Xbox. Um, it's, I you know, I, I could see Call of Duty Warzone because it's already an existing game. It's being updated on things similarly to Elder Scrolls Online or Minecraft. It's available on PlayStation. I could see Warzone still operating to a certain well, something, extent. Something about that statement that I've, I've been thinking about is like he says, like existing communities type of deal. Uh 
Warzone is an existing community, right? That game has been mm-hmm. out for years now. It's not going away. They're not going to suddenly pull that, right? Yeah. But whatever, you know, not this year because the deal won't be, like, done by then. But next year's Call of Duty, that game doesn't have a community because that game doesn't exist. So yep. he's he he could be saying, like, fostering current communities as in people who play Diablo 3 and people who play Warzone. But he's not speaking to future communities, which yeah. is people who the, play future call of duty games the diablo 4 the overwatch 2 the yep. call of duty modern warfare 4 communities don't exist yet and they will probably yeah, they, only they exist technically on... don't exist yet there's fans yeah. of those franchises but those games don't technically have communities yet in, in a literal sense yeah uh it, it, it's an interesting one and i do want to sort of uh get both from you as on Matt, since I was sort of pointing to you, I'll just start with you. What do you think about sort of like where this puts PlayStation in the conversation of it all right now? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of with Mark here, right? Like call of duty is the big one. And there is some, there's that fun irony about crash bandicoot and, and Spyro now being with Xbox, uh, <laughs> despite their like history with the PlayStation. But like, other than that, like, Overwatch aside, Blizzard mainly lives on PC, right? Like, even in this generation, they mainly live on PC. So it's not like that's a big major issue. And yeah, like, Xbox gained uh, an insanely valuable uh, property with King, but they're mobile games, right? And they don't really cater to the same audiences uh, as the Call of Duty and Blizzard crowd. So yeah, it's not, it's not the, I mean, it's not like uh, the field has changed that dramatically other than Call of Duty's, like, imminent future and i'm kind of with you i think uh i i interpreted the words about not taking away existing communities as meaning like warzone because that is a live service game and that's an ongoing thing uh and there is no community for what call of duty black ops 7 5 7 right? <laughs> well, uh, i love that you guys are just both throwing off random <laughs> titles that will a hundred percent eventually exist yeah I'm and they're eventually. just gonna they're gonna keep adding lines to the the black ops logo because yeah, they didn't yeah. they didn't yeah. go for a like an iv for four mm-hmm. they just yeah added it's strategic a they're playing the long game exactly yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's i mean that's basically my read too you know it's a uh, crazy crazy big but uh, I'd be interested. I'd be interested in in seeing if, I mean, like we've seen though, Sony's not the only change that they've made in terms of like acquisitions is like announcing their acquisitions. But in terms of like they haven't responded to Bethesda with a Bethesda style size mm-hmm. deal. Uh, yeah. So in like the year since it's happened, and I don't necessarily think that they're going to buy a Activision size company as a response because that's just not something Sony has done in all of last year when. Microsoft was on a buying spree. Uh, and like Square Enix, yeah, because there's that relationship. But like Square Enix is a weird company because they also own like a publishing company and they got yep. like an events mm-hmm. firm and a bunch of chain restaurants and stuff like that. Like it's not just games over at Square Enix in Japan. Like they own like insurance. I don't, I don't actually think that's true, but they own like <laughs> weird businesses, right? That's not actually just core gaming. So like buying Square Enix is actually trickier than, than it is on the surface. So if. Uh, if they did sell insurance, th- their plans would have to be named after like Final Fantasy Summons, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, like, like they own like. Would you like the Ifrit package? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the Bahamut package. No, please. no, no. Only I'm, the best I, for me. 
I'm on the Garuda plan, all right? It has no pencil, but... <laughs> you know. I can but, only you know, find people little... in my network with Tiamat, but it's working yeah. out. Yeah. It's a little cheaper, but you know, it works for me, and I'm happy with it. No, but yeah, so so it'd be it'd be weird and it'd be interesting, but, you know, I'm but like, again, like you said, like, Square Enix games already kind of just exist on PlayStation, so it's not like Sony has to spend money to buy a whole company when the company already prefers to work with them you know in the in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things so it'll be it'll, it'll be interesting strictly i think for me just to see what happens with call of duty and if i had to put on a guess uh i know a lot of people kind of move the goalpost on uh like xbox exclusivity in terms of like okay well uh was starfield is exclusive but there's no way elder scroll 6 is going to be exclusive right which i think elder scroll 6 is going to be an exclusive and so in that same way i'm pretty sure future mainline call of duty games are also going to be exclusive yeah i, I don't the, i don't see a world where starfield is exclusive and elder scrolls isn't yeah i, I, right. I, I mean, the only like yeah. justification is that elder scrolls has existed on other platforms where starfield's a new ip but no, no. the <laughs> also the elder scrolls isn't going to exist until they release like the xbox series y and t yeah, so it's true. like that's yeah. That game is still like a whiteboard in a Bethesda mm-hmm. office. Yeah. But no, Jada, I'm, I'm curious from your end as well. I, I think talking to some of what Matt and Mark were saying of the like, um, I, I'm curious what you think of if you feel like they need to go acquire a whole company. But I, I do think the question of like, well, PlayStation has always been making these exclusivity deals with other companies. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, I know you're a big fan of, um, and and it seems like Final Fantasy XVI as well, at least on the console side. It feels like, if anything, they'll probably just continue that trend, I would imagine. But what what do you think in terms of like what Sony needs to or should do from here? Honestly, this Microsoft deals, I have no I have no thoughts on it. <laughs> oh, you're just done. All right, cool. Moving on. No, um, no, but. Um, what I would say is I'm more interested to see what Sony does next from their strategic kind of planning division and such, because we've seen throughout the last two generations of consoles where Sony has been throwing money at Activision, throwing money at EA for these like exclusive benefits for playing it on PlayStation. Play our game, play your, play this game on PlayStation. It's better on PlayStation. Um it's going to be interesting to see if they reevaluate that strategy instead of just throwing, you know, what a couple million dollars at this company for that 30 through 30 days or six month exclusive windows to like actually going the route of buying another studio um, because, or taking that money and reinvesting it in their own franchises and revitalizing some of their old, their, their own shooters. SOCOM, resistance, uh, kill zone, like, I think that's where the money would be better well spent. Um, but I understand that, you know, obviously both Resistance and Killzone as franchises didn't do amazing numbers. Uh, Resistance 3, at least. I don't remember the 1 and 2 numbers. But uh, 3 apparently didn't do well. And uh, Killzone didn't do well on the PS, uh, PS3. Did we have a Killzone PS4? We did. Killzone at the launch. That launch. Yeah, it dropped yeah. at launch. Yeah. And we didn't see it again for that whole generation because obviously it just wasn't there compared to Call of Duty. And that's fine because Call of Duty was like, you know, in its heyday right around that time. Like it was doing big numbers coming off of like the Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2. Those were like 360 PS3, but. That really their, just their kind main of... competition at that time would have been Call of Duty Ghosts. And they <laughs> yeah. didn't even take that sucker down. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so, like, if you know, if you can't 
beat the worst, one of the worst Call of Duties, like with your own flagship IP, then I understand the idea is like, let's just invest in this one that's working and just get everybody to buy it on our system. But I, I don't want them to buy other companies. I want them to reinvest in, you know, uh, in their own properties and make their stuff better. I want them to give us a wider variety of games. I yeah. think it'd, it'd be fine for them to buy out Square Enix, but I don't think that would be great for the market. I don't like all this acquisition in the market because it just takes it away from people. I play on everything. I have, you know, you you guys know, I've got like 50 plus trophies on my PlayStation, 100K plus gamer score. I've got like 400 games on my Steam library alone. Like I play everywhere. Um, it's But I think it really hurts the people who aren't able to invest in all the consoles and do that stuff or find them for that matter. Like we were, you know, we're all lucky to have found these consoles, um, this generation. (laughs) Um, So it really, you know, it hurts, you know, if somebody has been struggling to get an Xbox series X and they really want to play some of these exclusives, like if the next Tony Hawk gets announced and that's going to be exclusive to Xbox, like that sucks. If they have a, still have a hard time finding an Xbox series X by then. So and I mean, um, for me, Tony Hawk is a is a Nintendo franchise because that's where I played Pro Skater for the first time. So it's even I, stranger. But I, th- <laughs> I think the one I probably played the most was on PS One for me. That's fair. Yeah. But yes. Um, go ahead. Man. I have a question. I have a question though. I like. Yeah. Uh, genuinely, like, if uh, Sony just you know reinvests that money and re like relaunches its line of like defunct shooters, right? Like, will it? Yeah matter compared to just like it doesn't matter how good call of duty is year after year it's still the best selling mm-hmm. game year after year right and so like hypothetically even if they make a really good kill zone like can it even can it like will it even be able to compete with call of duty just because call of duty is call of duty yeah honestly I, <laughs> go ahead Jim. i don't think i don't say i don't think it i don't think it will i think it but the thing is i don't think that's going to matter too much to the like the core playstation audience that loves the god of wars that loves horizon that loves uncharted i think that audience is the audience they should really focus on building out into these other shooters that may want to experience these other type of shooters but i don't think i mean call of duty is a juggernaut now with its name and it'll be interesting to see if battlefield whatever the next battlefield the next call of duty come out if battlefield somehow becomes exclusive to playstation and then that will just kind of exacerbate that war between Xbox and PlayStation, Call of Duty versus Battlefield. There's a lot of duality in those uh, that could potentially come from this acquisition. And it, yeah, it, it's an interesting one because I guess, yeah, like to your point, Matt, I, Battlefield is probably the second most recognizable shooter name, but obviously it's fallen quite a bit and 2042 didn't have the best launch. Um, and I, I guess you could argue maybe PlayStation throws a bunch of money at EA to try to get some exclusivity, but... I don't think they would ever go fully exclusive, especially because EA has EA Play on Game Pass mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, they, they have a big investment in the PC world as well. So I like the next and that was sort of what I want to talk to you all about, because I, I think you you both were bringing up great points about like it creates this dearth of, of a shooter experience for PlayStation players. And so the options are try to create something new, try to buy something existing. But what quite can live uh, like nothing can be call of duty right now you know like there's no one for one to replace so where do you go next and revivals are i think an option that a lot of people were sort of throwing around uh new franchises um some sort of acquisition or exclusivity of of other shooters is something i saw people throwing around but i am curious like uh you know jada to your point 
there's a reason they stopped making resistance and kill zones and and sales at the end of the day and and you know things like horizon taking off where gorilla could put their efforts in in that and it doing so well but gorilla does have multiple teams and i know there have been some rumors of them working on you know bringing on people with shooter franchise experience from other companies maybe they are working on some sort of kill zone comeback but I guess my question for all of you is outside of the like core dedicated PlayStation audience, which is, which they need to speak to first and foremost, but like what, what can they do with shooters? Like what, what do you think they should, or what, what can they do? Cause it is, I think it's a pretty open question. I don't think there's a necessarily single right answer. Yeah. I, I don't think we know what it is yet. Right. Because when you look at some of the most recent like breakouts, you had, you had Fortnite, uh, which launched as, you know, Fortnite saved the world and then became this like insane battle royale to to kind of, you know, take down PUBG and and even PUBG in, in a sense. But Fortnite did this unique thing with the building and stuff. And then Apex came out and it found mm-hmm. its audience because of just its sleek controls and that almost Titan fall feeling to it. Uh, and, then, despite, and then Overwatch really. Despite went, Titanfall not being a success just to like you know mentioned that it was like apex became this huge thing but it was built on titanfall which has its audience and and for good which already yeah exactly it wasn't as big yeah and so and then and then you have something like overwatch which introduced most people to to what a hero shooter is right and i i think we need to just figure out what that next thing is right i i really Mm -hmm. am against the camp of resistance coming back and making any sort of like headway i i just don't see how that's possible you really you have to you're you're not telling people to play resistance you're telling people to to not play call of duty in favor of resistance and i I just don't think that that's doable (laughs) with with a franchise like that and what was the other one uh socom socom's more like you know that's more like strategic rainbow sixy than than Mm -hmm. what can compete with call of duty so yeah i i really i really don't think going back and looking at something like kill zone or resistance i i really don't know how much those names mean anything anymore so them revealing this like kill zone revival does almost nothing for me as as far as excitement goes. I would love for I would love for them to make something new. I just don't know what it is yet. But I mean, th- it's uh, their job to tell me. You know <laughs> what? Go you ahead. Know what I, I'm gonna just make one quick point. Yeah. What I would love to see is a new IP, like Mark is saying, but somehow they like kind of like how Apex is based in the Titanfall world. Mm-hmm. I would like them to do that, but base it off of one of their previous games' worlds, but not tell anybody until you've played the game basically so it seems like it's a new ip it's a new shooter draw people in and then you find these clues and like holy crap this is a kill zone game like and it just you know kind of like shows that maybe like tail end of the game or something like that i think that would be kind of a cool grab um because it would look new but still have kind of pay homage to the the fans of the past This episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. 
The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. Shows that are so bad, they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily, NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK, so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems, and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers, and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I Matt, mean, what they about can go, They can yeah. go all in on that uh, Last of Us 2 multiplayer mode, right? That's true, <laughs> yeah. That could be like their next big thing. Uh, I don't know. As far as shooters go, like I don't actually see a, an issue with PlayStation being like the hub for all of these free to play games. Like you can still play Overwatch, right? And then there's also mm-hmm. Fortnite and Apex Legends. Um, and you know, presumably, like if our theory like holds up and Warzone remains on on PlayStation consoles going forward, right? Like uh, I don't see why that's necessarily a bad thing, especially with like combining it with the things that Sony does have, right? Like maybe uh, an exclusive Aloy skin for Apex that only for PlayStation players, right? Or, you know, making, you know, uh, an exclusive, you know, Joel skin on Fortnite, right? For <laughs> something like that, right? Like, I, like that's not necessarily the worst thing yeah. in my in my mind, right? Because then, then PlayStation becomes like the place to play these games that you can technically play on other platforms. But like, if you want that little extra thing, you know, that little thing that you like mm-hmm. from a Sony thing, you can get it only on PS5. 
right? Well, it's I, hard when you when you think ahead, of Call of Duty, you you think of shooters, but really what you should be looking at is is like these free to play, like you said, free to play like live service things, and they kind of had that with Genshin Impact, right? Like yeah. so many people play Genshin Impact on PlayStation, and that's something that. You know, at first, you're like, what is this Breath of the Wild ripoff? And the game kind of just came out of nowhere, and it's now, like, the biggest thing ever. And so that that's almost what I mean when I say, like, we just don't know what it looks like yet is, is maybe yeah. it's not even a Call of Duty competitor because maybe they're like, yeah, we lost Call of Duty, but Xbox and does not have Final Fantasy XIV. They do not have Genshin Impact. So we don't need a competitor to that because we still have these huge things. Yeah, I, I mean, like to all of your points, I think you're all sort of like very much in the same wheelhouse as I'm thinking. I wanted to bring up two things. One was the uh, the exact free-to-play thing that you're saying, um, Matt, that, that you were mentioning as sort of like the house for it and, and, and that you all were following up with. I wonder if, you know, I, I think we see success on PlayStation in a way we haven't seen on, on Xbox or Nintendo with multiplayer games on PlayStation Plus. And, like, obviously Rocket League was looked at one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fall Guys was looked at one. I, I think another that maybe is going a little under the radar is even something like Deep Rock Galactic, which literally, once it came out on PlayStation, doubled its player base. Like, it went from right. 5 to 10 million or, you know, like 6 to 10 million. It added millions of players instantly. And obviously those people may not be around forever or play Deep Rock Galactic as much as they do Call of Duty. But, like... Very clearly, the PlayStation audience, when presented the opportunity to play something like that, will play it. And so I do wonder if we see sort of a mix of what you're all saying of like a focus on continued free-to-play stuff, maybe trying to get either exclusive elements to those games or bring them in some exclusive fashion first to PlayStation for like a larger period than 30 days. I think like mm-hmm. the days of trying to get DLC for 30 days doesn't mean anything. I think you'd need to like if you're going to spend the money, spend it for a year spend it to get that year to create that parallel between players and, and your system. Um, not just with games like Final Fantasy VII Remake, but with multiplayer stuff as well. That, that was their Call of Duty model for a while. There was yeah. exclusive like mm. mercenaries modes and so I, I, I for don't know exactly year, right? what they're called. They were exclusive for a year, yeah. which, which literally meant that they were – not literally, but the, basically meant that they were exclusive forever because by the time the, that mode hit other platforms, the new Call of Duty was out. Yeah. yeah. So who's what now the Vanguard's out? Who's who's booting up you know Cold War to play this mode that people were playing a year ago? Nobody. You're just playing the new game now. Yeah. Well, and and just to to mention the the thing Matt you were saying, and and I want to pose this question to all of you is sort of like, I think PlayStation realizes that multiplayer has been a problem on their like exclusive side that they've needed to work on for a while, and I think they've tested the waters internally with things like. Uh, the Ghost of Tsushima multiplayer mode, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the clear dedication that Naughty Dog is putting into whatever Factions 2 is, because that went from like a mode that was going to be in The Last of Us to now a thing they've been working on for at least a year post-launch uh, to, to craft this experience. Uh, but also, I, I think a thing that's worth pointing out is in the last year, most of the exclusive third-party games they announced partnerships with uh, Firewalk Studios is a studio made up of shooter veterans from Halo and Destiny and, and Call of Duty and, and so many other walks of life. Uh, Demolition Games is founded by two of the people who I think did Black Ops 3 and helped create Zombies Mode and, and you know, uh, very clearly have shooter, first-person shooter DNA in, in their studio. 
And then even something smaller like Haven Studio from Jade Raymond, their game is taking social and life service elements as a major factor in what they're doing. It feels like, to me at least, like even before this deal, PlayStation was aware that was a thing they needed to focus on. And I think we're going to see that pay off in the next couple of years. But they're also probably just going to even further double down, I would assume. Um, yeah, what I would like to see PlayStation do is take a, a new IP and instead of doing, uh, you know, releasing a sequel or a different type of game each year take a you know a constantly evolving game like apex um not necessarily apex but and then add huge content drops that change the game and take it in new directions each year instead of doing call of duty world at war call of duty world at war 2 black ops black ops 2 like i feel like we either get it's world war 2 or we get something else but they're all the same when it's something else. And I feel like so many people are fatigued of seeing that in Call of Duty. I think Sony could learn from that and instead do something that does a more uh, dramatic change from year to year, but still keeps the core of the game the same. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally get what you're saying. I do think, yeah, there is a, a, even with the Call of Duty sales, I do think there is like this opportunity to create new sort of mind share around different ideas or or to pivot where people sort of expect the same things from Call of Duty, uh, but still buy it every year. Uh, like, I, I think, you know, tying that into what you all were saying was like the reality of the world we live in with free-to-play stuff. It is like Fortnite and even stuff like Genshin, uh, which may not be a shooter, but can have these multiplayer elements is this big free-to-play game. They're, they're all thriving still on PlayStation. And and the the market has become different. So it is it is this weird question, I, I guess, to pose like, what do they do about Call of Duty? But maybe the answer is to continue to try to find the spaces that aren't one to one parallels with Call of Duty, but find other places that people will want to invest in and want to play in. Um, I, I think something that is kind of missing. I've seen I've seen a few people chat about it. Is there has been this talk of like, what is Sony going to do? And and we're comparing it to the current version of Activision Blizzard yeah. that could not exist once uh, once 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 the deal is final, right? There are so many studios that have all of this talent that just become support studios for Call of Duty. We have Toys for Bob, Vicarious the, Visions, Vicarious Visions. Raven. That's what I was thinking of. Uh, Raven, all High of these Moon studios, studios, yeah, all of these studios that go and they they just become like. How could Toys for Bob makes Crash Bandicoot? This game's like super well received, and they're like, "Cool, you're a support called Call of Duty studio now." They're like, "We're so excited!" <laughs> oh, like, it, it sucks. Like as a, as a fan, right. of what they were doing what High Moon was doing with the Transformers games, um, like Raven. Vicarious Visions made the 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 Tony Hawk remake, and it was oh, so, so good. good. Yeah, yeah. And then they were like, "Oh, now you work for Blizzard, <laughs> right?" Um, and so, yeah, right, it's wild. right, and support for. Oh, they Diablo. made they made Diablo two. Yeah. Uh yeah. and so I don't know. It becomes this thing where it's like that's why there's there's so many questions here. Because the the big my my big suggestion would be that Call of Duty takes a year off. I don't know the implications that means for for you know, Call of Duty not coming out in one year is leaving millions and millions and millions of dollars on the table. But it also it's a risk versus reward. Maybe they've crunched the numbers and they're like, Hey, you know, instead of let's just say 30 million this year and 30 million next year, let's go for 45 million next year. And then we can build on that because suddenly it'll become a franchise. People actually care about again. 
right? Yep. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to think of of them battling. I I, I really do think it's it's going to look a lot different. Oh yeah, next I year. mean, yeah. like you were saying at the beginning of this, the idea that this would even happen seemed crazy. Even when the Bethesda deal happened, and even a couple of years before that, that that something this major consolidation and and Jade, I know you were talking a little bit about it as well of like the worries of that, uh, you know what that consolidation means because I do think it's fair to say I don't really think any of us are advocating for PlayStation to go immediately acquire another big studio like they yeah. could again like we've been no, saying. I started with saying that I would not want yeah, that. <laughs> I I, I think either. I. You know, there is a lot of talk and I think some people can be like, but it means like there's there's a difference to me of of acquiring smaller studios to ensure that they can keep creating the incredible experiences they want to, Mm -hmm. which is what both Xbox and PlayStation have done. Both of them have done it. So I'm not going to just say that was PlayStation, but like obviously with the housemark acquisition or Bluepoint, that's like ensuring a a team of less than 100 can still make the incredible games that they want to and not have to worry. It's the same reason Double Fine joined Xbox because Tim Schafer Mm -hmm. was tired of having to spend half his time pitching games to people to spend money on and instead can just make the games and so i i think acquisitions like that can help those smaller teams in really wonderful ways but something like this that causes consolidation as you were saying jada will force people at the end of the day to have to make decisions about what to invest in what ecosystem to invest in of course there will be exclusives no matter what but this like takes a big chunk of that uh multi-platform availability out of out of the picture and Mm -hmm. Uh, creates interesting questions, I think, for every company. But Mark, to your point earlier, uh, John Davison wrote uh, a really great op-ed about how this isn't about a box-first-box war. It is a content war. And we've seen it play out with the streaming services. They, you know, Netflix, Netflix, Netflix versus Disney Plus versus Peacock versus Amazon Prime versus all of these ones. They all are trying to make as much content as possible so that they have a library of things for you to go to. Which I like. There are great things on every platform, but I would argue is it's not the healthiest way to make content. I mean, Netflix produced a movie a week last year. Can anyone name five of those movies that aren't the Fear Street trilogy? <laughs> hey, I saw Red Notice over the holidays. harder they fall. It was fine. That's two movies. I can't uh, think of any Netflix <laughs> movie I watched. But next year, my, last my, year. my point is that it's like, it like to to John Davison's op-ed. This is all about ensuring that there is a constant stream of content for people to come subscribe to Game Pass to, which is a a smart way, <clears throat> excuse me, to get people in the door. But I like the ramifications of it down the line are things none of us can predict, and so it it creates this inter- interesting question where we're also on the precipice of potentially PlayStation revealing their bigger game pass equivalent codename spartacus according to the the reports and everything and so i guess i'm curious what you all think of uh, like i do think as someone who uses all of the streaming services and you know there's no ethical consumption under capitalism we're using all these things to a certain extent um the future of it all just being what streaming service you subscribe to worries me a little bit because those things are built on the idea that there is always a consistent stream of content to put out, not always indicative of quality or creative interest, but mm-hmm. supplying at the end of the day that there is something for people to log on and see that's new. Mm-hmm. Um, I get like with that sort of just thought in mind, do you think this plan like this acquisition affects playstation's spartacus plans is there anything you particularly feel like they need to do with the streaming service is there anything you particularly hope they don't do obviously the question of like day one exclusives you know from playstation Mm -hmm. studios 
I think gets brought up again. I still don't think they do that at launch. At no, least. Um, I don't think so. Yeah. You know, the, like Mark, to your earlier point, obviously this is the biggest news in the world. And I think a monumental shift for the industry a month from now, literally a month from now, horizon is probably going to come out and be the best selling PlayStation exclusive in its launch month, say for like Spider-Man. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like we're going to, we're going to see PlayStation be okay. It's, it's not as if PlayStation is suddenly, in a problem state, they're still one of the most financially successful gaming companies. But I am yeah. curious. Go ahead, Jada. Sorry. I was going to say, yeah, I think, you know, Microsoft, this acquisition brings Microsoft, what, in the third behind Tencent and Sony? I want to yeah, say, I, if I remember I, correctly. I, I so, think that's for where, gaming revenue. For gaming yeah. revenue. Correct. Gaming yes. Revenue, yeah. Yes. For gaming yeah. revenue. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't think Sony's worried about this, um, like on that aspect, revenue wise, but other than the, the loss of Call of Duty. But yeah, continue. Well, yeah, point, John it, no, just it, it's an interesting mindshare question. So I'm curious if you think this should or, you know, might alter plans for whatever Spartacus ends up being. Is there anything like in light of very clearly Xbox being all in about Game Pass? Like they are not this is not a box versus box war as much as people on Twitter want to tell me that I am in the pocket of Sony. It's not that it is. What do they do? to compete with a streaming service that is getting all of the mindshare or do they not need to, do they keep doing their own thing? I think uh, Greg Miller posed this question to me as like, do they try to do the same things or do they become something different? I guess. Yeah. It's tough because when you, when you think years ago before game pass existed, the thought of game pass sounded too good to be true. And yet here it is. Right. And so I don't know. I don't know if they can compete without putting their first parties on there, but then it becomes this weird thing right where some games will be on one some games will be on the other they can't copy exactly because there's definitely there definitely has to be some sort of push and pull on hey how much would it cost for for you to be on spartacus and they're like oh we're already on game pass for six months so there's nothing we can do for you so then it's like this game left spartacus and now it's on game pass and now this game left game pass and now it's on spartacus i I don't know if that's a a healthy or no. interesting way to consume yeah. content to just I mean, have sorry, every, sorry. it sounds like every game in existence would either be on one of them and you just have to do the dance of where it is that month that sounds so <laughs> like uninteresting to me I mean, what we were doing with shows the office. Work, though, right now yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like exactly the office ping pongs from netflix to peacock right and then they're like movies that i see that are on Netflix one month and then it disappears. And then I'm like, oh, no, I want to watch that. It's like, oh, it's on Hulu now, you know? Yep. So, right. Uh, and it I, already kind of functions like that. And it, and it's I a think, and, it, and in my opinion, that is a, like, frustrating yeah. and kind of annoying way to consume content. Yeah, right? I think like it's that. fine. I think it's fine in the TV and movie. Like, it's yes, it's frustrating. It's annoying. But I think it works fine there because those generally, those shows, you're watching on your own. You're not interacting with hundreds of other people people at the same time while you're watching these shows well and there's no progress to carry over yeah there's no progress to carry over or money to spend after the fact (laughs) exactly but like you know if you take a games community especially with the big push for crossplay nowadays for all these games like if you're going six months on one service six months on another these what's the point of crossplay at that point you know what i mean like sure some people will buy it on the other ones but you're effectively kneecapping your communities for these games if by because everyone will, them, will just go to the yeah where where it is for free at the time quote unquote, exactly free. um so yeah, yeah it 
like, I genuinely don't know what happens from here. I think, like, going back to the beginning, Mark, your point of, like, this changed everything. I don't, like, literally tomorrow, if someone buys someone else, I won't be surprised anymore. But I saw that headline when I woke up on Tuesday. Someone had put it in a Discord hour, like, a friend of mine put it in a Discord, the IGN story, and I thought we published an April Fool's story. To <laughs> and it's not because of, oh, Xbox did this. It was because that is just such a big thing. And obviously, as the reporting has come out, there's very clearly a lot of politics involved with this decision uh of course when it comes to bobby kotick and the the fall from grace though very obviously no one has really liked that man for a long time uh Mm -hmm. but that this gives him a a nice windfall to escape from i you know i do think it is worth saying my biggest hope for this deal is that it creates some foundational important change in uh the ecosystem and the the workplace safety and and uh you know, equality that is clearly lacking at Activision from the top down. I hope this this changes that. I hope that is like one of the the possible best outcomes. I do hope that happens here. But this, I mean, it means an entirely new for one, a new boss in Phil Spencer, yeah. and for two, a whole new HR department. Right. So, <laughs> like those, they all have to report to Xbox's HR now, which, as far as we know, is in much better shape than whatever <laughs> blizzard activision had going on it's fair to say no company is perfect but yeah it's sure. very obviously this sale i think comes on the back of the just horrible problems that have surfaced in such a massive way at activision and and i think factored in quite heavily here but um you know it does create this fascinating dichotomy of of the two i think we've been saying sort of since the beginning of this generation playstation and xbox have been playing different games from the jump Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. it's going to be less fruitful to compare the two because sales numbers don't equate. Game Pass subscribers is very different from PlayStation Plus subscribers and probably will be different from Spartacus subscribers. Uh, and then on the other side, again, I'm stealing from a friend, but they made this joke of like, here we are of PlayStation Xbox fans trying to decide where we're going to have to play the biggest games. And Nintendo fans are like, hey, just put Wind Waker on Switch. Like, <laughs> it, like just give us Zelda, please. Thank you. And you it- got Banjo-Kazooie. Exactly. Um, but no, it it totally changes the landscape. And I think it raises all these interesting questions and, and does raise interesting questions about what it means for PlayStation. But, you know, I don't want to misread it, what any of you are saying, but I do think it it puts PlayStation in a place where I think they just need to keep doubling down on what succeeds for them right yeah. now and mm-hmm. and find rather than try to say, okay, what is our call of duty? Say, yeah. what what are the games that can fill that void for people looking for multiplayer experiences or for shared mm-hmm. universe experiences? That feels like the more fruitful and interesting solution than how do we create call of duty on our side? Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Yep. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think Sony's most valuable assets right now are a notable IP, and I think they are like doubling down on it, right? Because it's not just sequels to critically acclaimed games they've they're making the last of us hbo show they're making a ghost of tsushima movie uncharted movie right like they realize that these are things that they can market off of continuously and build franchises off of and that's like as valuable as you know major acquisitions for studios yeah it's it's definitely a thing that you know it's taken xbox more than a decade to get halo onto the screen um and and you know same for uncharted uncharted went through five directors 
Mark Wahlberg aged out of the Nathan Drake role and became Sully. Um, It's a bizarre case, but I think you're totally right, Matt. Like they are looking at their franchises as things that can cross these boundaries. And so someone who's watching an HBO prestige drama of The Last of Us can be like, oh, there is a video game. I did not know that. Maybe Mm -hmm. someone I know has played it. Maybe I might like to play it. Maybe I might like to play something else like this. Oh, PlayStation is the only place I can go do that. I think they're creating that mindshare with with their IP and end. Also on the Sony side, it is, it's a weird shared thing right now, but Spider-Man. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Sony is, you know, on the film side doing literally everything they can to not let go of the Spider-Man film rights to Marvel solely. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. And Sony and Spider-Man. Spider-Man is, I think it's fair to say, one of the biggest franchises in the world just as a character on its own. And with the game being as big as it is, um, Spider-Man, both the original and Miles Morales, with the anticipation for two, with Insomniac doing Wolverine, there is a clear like Marvel association now more and more with Mm -hmm. Sony as well. And I do wonder how much they're going to try to double down on that as well. You know, I don't think... I don't think Disney is going to try to acquire PlayStation, though, who knows these days. But I do think they're going to try to really fortify that relationship. Um, I don't know yes. about what any of you think. but Sp- Spider-Man, just it, it really couldn't be bigger than it is right now, mm-hmm. right? When you look at the, you know, the movie, the Marvel movie, obviously is insane. Marvel uh, Sony into the, What's yeah. that? It's a joint production. It's a Marvel and Sony yeah. movie. Well, yeah, exactly. And, so, and then, uh, you know, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Which is mm-hmm. like the first one was huge. The anticipation for the second one's really big, and then yeah, and then just the games, of course. Like Spider Man twenty eighteen is the only game I, I'm speaking for the gameplay team here that they can add costumes to the game four years later. We make a video about <laughs> it, and it just like completely takes off. Like that just does not happen most of the time when it comes to creating content for games. Games are I, – I don't mean this in a in a sense of like the game is dead. But like as far as content goes, you start to see this big dip in numbers now that everybody has it. And it's like this game is four years old and we can make anything about it. And, mm-hmm. and people just love it. People love that game. And uh, so that's a really big get for them to, to – as far as notable IPs go for sure. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one where uh, I, I think the Spider-Man 2 reveal trailer on the Sony, the PlayStation uh, YouTube page mm-hmm. crossed 20 million recently views. Um, you know, we get sort of a hundred million plus movie trailer, you know, uh, break record breaking every, every few months. But the Spider-Man 2 trailer is massive and that game is just going to be everything when it comes out. So it's, yeah, so it, it, I can't wait. It, it, it is one of those things I, I do genuinely forget who, who said this yesterday, but in addition to the incredible tweet that I know Kate, our producer has prepared about Spider-Man, <laughs> I saw, I saw another tweet that was sort of like PlayStation will then go into the remainder of this year and launch sequels to two of their biggest franchises, mm-hmm. their seventh entry numbered entry in a massive worldwide phenomenon of a racing franchise. Um, and cannot stop selling PS5s (laughs) so much so that they need to make more PS4s. Like, things things are okay in the immediate future, but it is undoubtedly that this will create a like business shift over the next few years in a way that I don't think anyone can rightly guess. There it and is. Yeah, for anyone, for anyone watching the video version, yeah. uh, play, PlayStation after Microsoft buys another game company, I have nothing left except Spider-Man. It's such a um, good tweet. It's, it's, it's brilliant. So perfect. <laughs> uh, it is so, so perfect. And yeah, it, it, 
I, I think the reality of it is, and the reason I wanted to have this discussion with you all is, is because it is the question I have seen so many people ask and so many people say, is PlayStation doomed now? And it's like, no, yeah. I don't think so. I think it changes the business demonstrably. And I think we're going to see PlayStation make certain changes to react to the market. But I think until PlayStation feels like they are in a place where they are not selling we're mm-hmm. going to kind of see them do what they've been doing. I think they're going to, as you said, Matt, they they acquired throughout the years and just didn't make as big a deal until Xbox made acquisitions a big deal to the everyday gamer. I think we're going to continue to see some acquisitions here and there. I, I don't think they've stopped, but I don't think it's going to be a Square or a Konami or a Capcom. Um, but yeah, it's it's a weird, wild, strange time to live in for this conversation. I imagine we're going to talk about the repercussions of it over over the coming months. But uh, thank you all for for indulging me in that conversation. Oh, we, got, we, we literally, it's our job to be here. And indulge. I know I demanded <laughs> that you do, but thank you yeah. anyway. Um, <laughs> do want to briefly move on? Did want to mention uh, mostly it's just a shout out. Um, there was a New Horizons story trailer that dropped today, primarily focused on the the some of the new characters, some of Aloy's journey that's going to go on the game. Uh, I spoke to the game's narrative director and senior writer, uh, Ben McCaw and Annie Katane, uh, about sort of some of the details of that trailer, some of uh, where Silence is in the mix of all of this, where Regala, the new villain, who is played by Angela Bassett, which is just the coolest thing. Yeah, um, yesterday you were like, hey, Mark, the, you know, just some secret <laughs> comments. You're like, hey. Angela Bassett's going to play the villain, and I—I'll I, be honest—I I couldn't remember exactly who that was. You completely left out that Carrie Ann Moss is in the game now, which is amazing. Yes, that is true as well. Um, Come on, Dorbush. You know I'm the biggest practice. Matrix fan ever. You probably Are you? Don't know that. I, I don't a, know that. I'm a fairly big Matrix. Hold fan. on, you don't watch—you don't watch sequels, but you're the biggest Matrix fan. Is it because Wait. you only saw the first one? Hold on, who's who said I don't watch sequels? Is that a thing? Everyone who everyone who I've talked to said Mark doesn't watch movies, and if he no, does no, watch it's, movies, it's the joke is I don't watch movies like from the eighties. So it's like uh, Terminator, okay. Ghostbusters, all that kind of stuff. Uh, okay, so it was uh, a game of telephone where eventually, like yep, people kept saying, yeah, things eventually about Mark it, and it, it boils down to <laughs> Mark doesn't doesn't know what a movie is. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. that's I yeah. think if you ask Pear your perspective you, on movies, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pear, Pear, Pear will like slack me at the most random times <laughs> and just be like, hey, I saw uh, this. Do you even know what Jurassic Park is? And I'm like, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to work, Pear. Leave me alone. <laughs> Bullying me. <laughs> I, it's, it's well deserved. But no, yes, uh, really big casting, really big, exciting uh, teases for, for what's to come and sort of the expectations of it. Obviously some spoilers if you haven't played Zero Dawn, but you if you're looking forward to Forbidden West, you should play Zero Dawn. Um, but yeah, go go check out that interview. Uh, and yeah, really, really excited. We're a month away. So in just a short amount of time, we'll be talking about one of the biggest PlayStation exclusives to come out this year. Uh, should be very fun. The only other thing I want to mention as well, just because uh, a quick follow-up on this, God of War launched on PC mm-hmm. last Friday. Am I sure. correct there? Yeah, we'll take it. Last Friday. Uh, and it apparently had the biggest PC launch, according to Steam uh, active users, uh, compared to Horizon and Days Gone. So, one, I can't wait to see the weird mods that are going to happen. But two... I already saw one, and it was very disturbing. It Was, was it just the like, eyes and mouth? Yes, it was the eyes yeah. and the mouth. Yep. That was just, I was just like, why? 
Why? Giant eyes, giant <laughs> mouth, Kratos, if you haven't seen it. It's disturbing mm-hmm. and wonderful. Uh, but yeah, I think we're going to continue to see this happen of this trend of PC launches, probably post-launch still. I, I Again, in the same way, I don't think Sony is going to put games day one on a, on a Game Pass sort of subscription service. I don't think they're going to do day one on PC until they feel like it is the financial best option to do so. There, but, there's been a lot of talks. It's like, this proves that, you know... God of War Ragnarok should be day and date on PC. I'm like, I don't care what it proves. They're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think there is a world where they might do that someday. But yeah, there's no way I think not, God not, of War Ragnarok is Yeah, not to... in time for Ragnarok. No, exactly. No way. Also, they'd um, be hurting their own sales because there, I know there's a ton of people who bought it on PC that had already bought it on PS4. So like mm-hmm. they're getting double sales. If you're releasing it on PC day and date, Nobody's going to buy, not nobody, but less people will buy both versions for of sure. the game. Yeah. yeah. Um, unless they do cross-buy, which, yeah. Uh, anyway, that's it's awesome to see that huge success, and congrats to Santa Monica and, I believe, Jetpack Interactive, who, mm-hmm. who worked on the PC port there as well. Uh, really awesome to see. And uh, I, I think it published after last week's episode, but I did an interview with Corey Barlog and... Uh, oh my god, Mila uh, Pavlin, I didn't want to mispronounce the last name, uh, about the some of the work they did for the PC port and some of the really big things it means for accessibility when it comes to what Santa Monica is doing. So go check that out if you haven't read it. But uh, other than that, I want to jump into an interview, actually, before we get into what we're playing. Uh, a game that's coming out this week, one of the, the first games of the year, Windjammers 2 is uh, maybe an unexpected sequel for some, but Windjammers weirdly took the world by storm for PlayStation fans uh, back in 2018, I believe it was. 20, or it was 2017, excuse me. And uh, I spoke to the CEO of .emu, uh, Cyril Ember, about the creation of Windjammers 2, why they wanted to do a sequel to this nearly 20-year-old uh, arcade fighting Pong-like game. Uh, it was a really fun interview, and I'll toss to myself right now. Hey everyone, on Podcast Beyond, pretty much every week we are talking about some of the biggest sequels in the world of gaming, but not very often do we get the chance to talk about a sequel that is coming nearly two decades after the release of a first game, but that's exactly what we're here to do today, and I am very excited to be talking about Windjammers 2, uh, and I'm joined, thankfully, by the CEO of .emu, uh, Cyril Ember. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Really excited to jump in and discuss Windjammers 2. Uh, this is obviously uh, really exciting. It's coming to PlayStation 4 as well as other platforms for people to be able to jump in. Uh, but I, I sort of wanted to talk off the bat. You know, obviously, I think there is a little bit of history and legacy with Windjammers now and PlayStation. Um, but maybe to start sort of at the beginning of the origins of this project. I know it was mm-hmm. announced in 2018, but... You know, what sort of spawned the idea that, oh, well, maybe people might be into us doing a sequel to Windjammer so long after the fact? Actually, it was kind of a, a bet because uh, that's not something, um, you know, like uh, we, we thought about after uh, bringing back the original Windjammers um, on, on PlayStation. Uh, that's something that we had in mind right from the beginning. Um, we wanted to um, uh, to create our own studio uh, with Dotemu, and uh, that's really one of the, the games that we, we we played a lot during our lunch breaks. A game that you know that's been played a lot in France as well. That kind of has its own, uh, you know like uh, fame uh, within the, the French community. So 
it's something that we really wanted to do. And right from the beginning, when uh, we uh, talked with the, 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 the owners of the, the IP, uh, we said, okay, like first we're going to bring back the original one, try to build some hype around it, try to see if we can actually make an esports league uh, of it, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very old game. Um, and then once that, that works, then we will we'll release a, a new one, a modern one, um, that would be a good fit for, for you know, like the modern era of, of gaming. So that was the, the, the idea right from the beginning, and uh, we, we're finally there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's awesome to be here, and I was actually very curious about sort of, uh, you know, bringing back, uh, as you noted, that sort of reemergence of, of Windjammers. I think it was in 2017 for, for PS4 and, and Vita. Yes. So the, the sequel was always sort of part of the original plan and pitch. It wasn't yes. sort of a reactionary thing. No, absolutely not. It was it was something that we really wanted to do, but in fact, it was more like we first wanted to do a sequel, but then we're like, but why not reading the original the original one first and then doing the sequel? So that was more in that in that sense. Well, and it's an interesting one for me, um, you know, because I do think there's there's a lot about sort of the timeless nature of the gameplay that I do want to talk to you a little bit about. But you know, sort of bringing back Windjammers, um, can you tell me a little bit about? Obviously, it was a, a bit of a risk, a, a gamble to be like, we want th- to do the sequel to this one. Tell me about what it was like to see the reception, because especially within the PlayStation community, it was sort of people rallied around this game. And, it, it you know, obviously it's an older game, but everyone seemed to still feel like it was just brand new and fresh for them. What, what was that like for you and the team? Uh, it was just awesome. And, and you know, like um, when we brought the idea to the, the PlayStation team uh, first, um, I was not expecting them to be so excited about it, you know, because we were at the time we were we, we didn't do much games on console, um, so we're kind of new in this in, in this environment, and uh, we were like, oh, maybe we can, you know, uh, see if people would be interested uh, at Sony, and uh, and then the people we talked to were like, yeah, like that's Windjammers, let's go, you know, like uh, let's work together on that, and and you know when we. Uh, <laughs> They asked us to, to do an um, uh, announcement at, um, what's it called, the, the event they used to do? Um, uh, PSX. Uh, yes. Yeah. They did, like, if you want to do, like, uh, the, the announcement of the game at PSX, we were like, yeah, like, are you sure? <laughs> and so, like, there was, like, this huge, like, screen um, with a stage and everything. And, and like, the Windjammer thing was, like, kind of one more thing at the end of the, the, the show. And... It, the trailer went on and this huge screen was like hundreds of people and we're like, wow, like we're not alone in this, you know, like, <laughs> so yeah, that was really reassuring and, uh, and gave us even more confidence to really go until the end, you know, of like our vision and, and everything. Yeah. I, I think there is something so enjoyable and, and just, you know, speaking to your surprise, funny and, and delightful in a way of like, here's a very serious look at The Last of Us or or Uncharted, and then just this bright, beautiful, colorful beach sport <laughs> arcade <laughs> game, Windjammers, is, is right there. And it's such a, a, I think, an easy thing to grab onto, even if you don't Absolutely. know the game. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. It's, and, it's a game for, for everyone, you know, like, uh, everyone is a bit intrigued because it looks easy, you know, it looks simple. Um, and, and it's very colorful and it, it you know, it's, it just talks to anyone. Then once you play it, you realize that it, it's a bit more than that. But uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. And I definitely want to jump into a little bit of sort of the, the ease of pickup and play versus, you know, actually getting into the technical aspects of it and, and really mastering the depth that is there that I think might surprise people. But I, I am curious of, you know, 
knowing that the the sequel was sort of a, a goal from the start, what were your and the team's hopes with the sequel? Like, what did you want to build upon and, and improve on, you know, nearly 20 years later? But also, what did you want to make sure you kept the same? So the, the game feel of the original Windjammers is incredible. Um, you know, first when we thought about it, I was like, yeah, I mean, like, you know, Windjammers is a great game. The, the game feel is great, but it's not going to be hard to reproduce, right? Because, you know, it's just like a... a like a bit like Pong, you know, like, so it shouldn't be too hard to code and then to create. But once we started to actually trying to reproduce the exact game feel of the original, we're like, wow, like it's going to be harder than we thought, you know, like, so it represented a lot of work. And our first goal was really to nail uh, this feeling, um, the, the feeling of the original. This, it's very fast paced, but at the same time, it's very readable, you know, like uh, you, you, you can see what's going on all the time and it goes fast and faster and faster and you have this really this feeling of uh, you know uh, progression uh, in a match but also on your own skills that that's something we really wanted to reproduce so we had to understand exactly the speed of the disc like uh, the timings uh, the mechanism the gameplay mechanism behind it and, and reproduce them and then from there we could build on that because that was the, the most important thing was to recreate that feeling um, and from there there was many options uh, of course, new characters, that's kind of the obvious one, you know, like uh, creating also new types of characters. We now have like uh, the super heavy and super light characters. Um, also, the, the stages in Swingjammers, it's super interesting because contrary to a lot of versus fighting games, uh, the stages have an influence, uh, a strategic influence on on the gameplay. So if you do a great combination of a, of a character that you master well, plus a stage that fits well to this character, then you have higher chances to win. Um, and so counterpicking stages and everything was important. So adding new, new stages with different, you know, size and uh, elements inside would put even more depth to the game. Uh, and then of course, adding some new moves would make the game um, brand new because the people that now master Windjammers 1 uh, they master it so well. They know all the characters by heart that for them, it's almost like a rock, paper, scissors, you know. Um, they kind of try to guess what's going to be the next move, but they know what, what it's going to be. But when you add other layers of gameplay, add other pos strategic possibilities when you actually catch the disc, then you're not sure about what your opponent's going to do. And you and we even implemented some ways of kind of tricking your, your opponent uh, to think you're doing something. So it was just about... I think the right amount of things that wouldn't, you know, destroy the original nature of the game and make it completely different, but at the same time, uh, bringing a lot of depth and replayability for everyone to to go from just playing and having fun with your friends to like really mastering the game and all the potential behind behind it. I did want to jump into a few of the things you were mentioning there, but just to sort of give people who who maybe don't know Windjammers a, a basic idea, and, and if you don't know, go why why don't you go play it now? It's really fun. Uh, but you know, at, at its core, you can sort of see a top down. I, I usually say like a, a beach volleyball court with just one on one people throwing a disc at each other and hoping to score points based on you know the opponent missing the disc. It is sort of is that fair to say at, at its core? That's sort of the basic fundamental on which you build. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What, what we usually say is uh, it's a mix between Pong and Street Fighter, basically. Yeah. So that's that's an easy way to describe it, you know, and people are like, well, wait, what? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think it's so apt because you are, as, as you were saying, trying to guess a little bit what your opponent's going to do. You're also trying to figure out how to one-up or, or trick your opponent, as you were saying. 
I, and and the complexity that I think some of the the stages that you've built in, in in the sequel really add a lot of variety to things. But but I was sort of curious of just the team's philosophy overall. I I assume the goal with any of these stages or or you know additions to the characters like heavy versus light is to still make sure that it's rooted in something the character the the player excuse me can progress in their skill at. That it's not something that feels like a a cheap you know gimmick thrown in there. Everything feels like it is built into something you can learn and master. Absolutely, yeah. You can see that in Windjammers 2, like, we didn't add tons of characters and tons of stages. Every time we created a character or a stage, it was for a very, very good reason. We're like, okay, like, there's, there's like, this um, move that you can do, this kind of techniques that you can use. What would be a good fit on a stage? What would be a great uh, constraint or a great advantage that you could take? And so we really tailored each stage to make sense. Uh, and to bring something new to the table, we, of course, we produce the original stages, but with the new characters, it creates new combinations. Uh, so it's the original stages, but it, you can like kind of discover them again with different characters. And uh, on the contrary, you have these new stages uh, that kind of change, you know, the way you count points, the way uh, the, the speed of the disc, and also that you can kind of try out the, these uh, old characters on those new stages and it changes everything. So lots of new combinations, but everything has its place, you know, and we didn't want it to just like, you know, do stages and stages and stages uh, that it wouldn't have made sense. That would have been a bit, you know, like, eh, you know, like it doesn't really count because it's so important in the game to pick and counter pick stages while you're actually doing some competition. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it always feels at least when I've been playing that, uh, even if a stage throws a new, you know, trick at me for the first time when I'm when I'm jumping in, it always feels like something that I can figure out a strategy to, to work with. It's not suddenly, exactly. well, I don't know what to do here. I'm just going to leave. Exactly. There yes. is always a, a way to work around it in interesting ways. Um, yes. And, and I was sort of curious, maybe it's sort of a, a chicken and the egg question, but did stage development and some of the ideas that went to these stages influenced the the character roster or did the character roster of you know heavy and light additions influence the stages or was it sort of just a thing that worked back and forth sort of fluidly yeah it was mostly back and forth lots of testing uh with uh jordi asensio uh, our uh, game director at dotemu really like first i think we were just trying to develop on the universe of Windjammers, which is quite interesting as well. That was one of the reasons we wanted to do a sequel is like to kind of develop the lore and create like, you know, like expand on that universe uh, they created without, you know, thinking it would actually be seen as a something special back in the days. But for us, it's something special and we wanted to expand on this. So we probably, if I remember correctly, worked first on character designs, like what cool character can we add to the roster of characters? And that would kind of fit really well with the, the existing characters and it would make sense. And then we also had some ideas of gimmicks of like mechanics for stages, but we're not sure like what kind of atmosphere you should feel on the stage and like what it, how exactly it would take place. It was just about, you know, like testing and testing and testing, play testing with pro players of Windjammers, asking like their opinion, um, having all our testers, you know, like giving their opinions and stuff and kind of, you know, tailoring, polishing it uh, along the months. And that's why it took so much time as well. Well, and and sort of on that note, um, I I am curious because as you said, and I do want to jump into some of the other things you mentioned, but this is a game that is really rooted now in its fan base and in its community. And so I imagine, you know, checking in with those pro players, those those people at a high skill level was an important element of, of refining and, and improving upon with Winjo. Yes, absolutely. We, we, one of the first things we needed was their approval, you know, like, uh, 
to have them behind us was reassuring and gave us confidence in our choices um, and also helped us to really polish the game in a way that would feel right for them. Um, but something interesting on our side was to create things that were new so that uh, even the pro, the pro players taking Windjammers 2 would have to learn again some new stuff. You know, Of course, they'd be really good right away, but between them, they'd, they'd be kind of new players because everything changes when you just add a bit of new move because all the, the combination, all the possibilities are multiplied. And so that was interesting to see them kind of, you know, kind of holding on to their old habits of playing the game because you can play the game exactly that you used to play it. But when they played against new player that never played it before and actually like, you know, played with the new mechanics because like they were like, why not? Uh, and seeing that they could be tricked by those new players that just started to play the game was super satisfying because it kind of reshuffled the cards, you know, of like, who's going to dominate the scene of Windjammers and that's super exciting. Well, yeah, it, it, for me, it, 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 there's sort of a, a wonderful balance that I think any game sort of in this uh, fighting or sport or, you know, mixture of the two genre um, is that ability for people to come in and not feel like suddenly there's a wall that they can't, over, you know, surpass. Exactly. I think Windjammers and, and Windjammers 2 as well very much feel like immediately, okay, I can get the basics of this. And, exactly. and you don't feel at too much of a disadvantage as a brand new player, but there is a pretty high skill ceiling, it seems like. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Definitely, that, that's the cool thing about, about Windjammer is that, uh, for example, I'm not a, a great uh, fighting game player, you know, like, I love it, I, I love seeing people playing, but I, I'm pretty bad. Um, and, and Windjammers, uh, of course, if you start, and it, it's the same like in every versus fighting game, if you start playing with someone that's, that's higher level than you, it's going to be, you know, a bit hard, right? But um, in fighting games, before it starts... Uh, being satisfying, you know, in terms of things you can do, it takes quite some time to understand all the things you can do, and and especially because characters are very different usually, and uh, and the hitboxes and everything. In Windjammers, everything is way more minimalist and way more simple. So if you play against someone that never played it like you, you're gonna start off fun right away, and then you're gonna discover the, some of the moves that you, you can do pretty easily because you know there are just a few buttons and just a few possibilities. But they, learn, they, they create some very, very cool situations that are sometimes unexpected and that creates hype around it. And so you can have fun right away and then see the possibilities step by step and progress with that. And, and that's, that's what I really like about the game. And that's what I really like when I see people playing in shows, when there used to be shows, <laughs> uh, is that, you know, like they, they have fun right away and they're like, well, wait, what did you do? And then they try to reproduce what they just do. And, and yeah, it's, it's a game that's, really welcoming i think for for anyone and and that's what inter is interesting about it yeah i i'm very much like you in in terms of uh i'm, I'm definitely not the best fighting game player and, and usually let my coworkers who are better i watch them and, and marvel at what they can do but you know yeah. jumping into wind jammers i think there's what's great about and i i know you're mentioning sort of figuring out the exact timing and the speed of the, of the disc and and the certain moves and, and that rock paper scissors structure of what you can do as yeah. the player um, you can get into this incredible flow very quickly where it's just, you know, to go back to pong, ping ponging back and back and forth. And, and yes. sometimes I, I think as a new player, I didn't even realize what I was doing occasionally. I was just, I was sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah. just in the, the mood of it. And then at some point yeah. and couldn't believe it. There's, there's that joy it, it's able to create. Exactly. I, I yeah, imagine, yeah. um, I don't necessarily have a question other than I imagine that's sort of a, there's no exact formula to getting that right. It just comes down to a lot of testing and, and making sure the, the speed and the variables are there for the players. 
Absolutely. At some times, uh, in the production, it just clicked, you know, like, we're like, okay, that's it. We got it. You know, like, finally, we can have those awesome matches, like, between players where there's this thing that's building up and you're like, wow, like, it's going so fast, but I can do it, you know, like, uh, (laughs) and, uh, you know, like, it's just, it's impressive even when you're watching it and and actually playing it, Um, even if you don't really know the game, but at some point, it just clicks. And when it clicked like that during development, we're like, okay, we're on the right path. Yeah, and it, it absolutely, at least for me, you know, playing so far feels like that in, in that respect. I did want to ask you, you mentioned something that may surprise people, again, who, who don't quite know Windjammers too well, but sort of talking about expanding on the lore of Windjammers. I think, uh, you know, obviously w- with fighting games in general, there can be a lot of lore going on. But it, when I yeah. see Windjammers immediately, I'm like, this incredible, cool 90s vibe. Um but I don't don't immediately think of the lore. But what was it like to make sure you were staying true to the design and and the the look and the feel of what was originally created in Windjammers? Well, that's the, the interesting thing. There was no lore uh, in the original Windjammers. I think the the original developers we talked about it several times. They just you know like uh, uh, they wanted to have uh, play characters from different countries. Uh, kind of, you know, it was kind of a, also a, a marketing, you know, aspects, especially back in the days, you know, to kind of please a bit everyone. But for, for actual fans of the game, like, it's a bit frustrating not to have the, a story behind it, you know, like, uh, to expand on this universe and say, like, oh, but this character actually likes that character, and this character is a big fan of that character, and, like, this character is a, wants to be a Windjammer champion for this and that reason. And so it was free, you know, like, everything was doable on our side, so we got really creative. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to spoil anyone, but uh, yeah, when you no, when course. you finish the the arcade mode, you usually have these little scenes that we really had a lot of fun uh, creating, um, and we hope that people will even you know uh, expand on that universe and create their own stories, and then we can take those stories in the game later on because you know everything can be built from there because there was no original lore, so there was a lot of freedom for us for that, but. On the the aesthetic of the game, the the colorful aspect, the the spandex, the armors, everything had to be kept, and that's really part of the the thing. It's it feels familiar and super unique at the same time. Uh, yeah, it's it's this very you know hyper realistic um, and and almost fantastical version yeah. of I guess early '90s, which happens to be back in vogue. I think so. It kind of works yeah. out serendipitously that the '90s are back, and and this is here as well for people. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Um, but in terms of, you know, adding on that and, and, uh, just getting into a little bit of the nuts and bolts for people who maybe aren't aware, what sort of feature set can people expect in, in Windjammers 2? I know you're mentioning the arcade mode, but there's online play as well. Can you talk a little bit just to sort of what people can expect? Of course. So basically, of course, Windjammers is best played, um, you know, with a human. (laughs) That's really the, where you get the most out of the game because, there are lots of mind games and uh, lots of skill to learn. Um, and that's something that sh- that's al- always a, a pleasure in this game to learn it. Not necessarily with, you know, like when you're take- taken by the hand to uh, understand everything. It's, it's, it's a bit like uh, in Streets of Rage 4, like you kind of discover as you go through the game. And that, that gives a, a very nice satisfaction feeling. So, But if you want to train uh, by your side, you have this arcade mode that you created. The the old arcade mode was very simple. You you know, you go fight like uh, each player. But in this mode, you have like a kind of a a whole tournament organized. So you meet uh, the different players in different locations, select which next player you want to fight with. You have some challenges for every match that you make that scores points and gives you more credits to continue or not. And of course, uh, you have to beat every character in order to kind of 
discover the lore, discover you know what's behind it, have these little scenes and kind of kind of collect them throughout the, the arcade mode. But of course, um, the best modes will be local uh, multiplayer when you can like bring some friends around, do some local tournaments, uh, have some you know nice times with your friends and family at home. And of course, we created a, a full online mode when you can invite friends, where you can uh, go through um, uh, the matchmaking, which is either like super chill, you know, like quick match as usual, but also very competitive with the with the ranked mode, uh, where we we did this, uh, you know. Uh, Rank mode with uh, progression between leagues, uh, so we try to have the, the player of the same level play with each other, but progress at the same time uh, with the possibility of uh, you know doing a rematch with someone that you had a good time with, uh, all that kind of stuff that never existed in the the whichever original game that are there, so that the, the competitive aspect of the game can really you know uh, thrive through Windjammers too. Um, and, and sort of on that note for the competitive aspect of things, obviously looking forward immediately to the launch of the game this week and everything, but, uh, you know, you were mentioning, and I hope we get to a point soon enough where we can see some in-person Windjammers 2 events, because I imagine they'll be pretty crazy. But yes. what sort of what sort of the team's plans for, you know, looking at how the community is playing, uh, keeping an eye on the, the online play, uh, basically supporting the game post-launch? Um, can you Absolutely, talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you know, if uh, people are happy with the game and want to see more, uh, we're uh, 100% ready to give more. Um, and that we already have some ideas of other characters or stages. Um, so, yeah, that's that's something we're ready for. And, of course, there is the Flying Power League, which is the official esports league for Windjammers. Um, and uh, we hope that uh, there is already um, uh, a tournament that's going to be organized in the U.S., uh, the first one for Windjammers 2 uh, in, in real life. I hope it's going to take place. Um, and um, and we, we hope to continue. For, with Windjammers 1, we organized around 20 live tournaments, uh, including EVO on main stage. Uh, so I guess with Windjammers 2, we could do even better um, with cash prizes and everything. We really want to develop this awesome community of players, uh, which is always very welcoming. You know, there's communities in every country <clears throat> around the world, but... We really want to develop that, uh, but of course, we, we hope that the success will be there to give us the means to, to, to develop everything, but everything is there waiting for the game to release, and, and, and we're, we're, we're on the starting blocks, basically. Well, and and it certainly feels like, um, you know, speaking to that worldwide appeal, I think that's something that's sort of built into the game. I think, you know, obviously, uh, we have plenty of listeners in uh, the US, but all around the world, and I think if it's, uh, there, there is such an incredible, easy, quick pick up and play nature to win jammers that if anything we've said like, oh, I don't play fighting games. I'm not a sports game person. I think you can jump into this and get lost for a few matches so quickly. It's it's really impressive uh, what the team has put together. Um, Cyril, thank you so much for joining me to to talk. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Uh, Congrats to the team on launch this week. uh, When Jammers 2 is going to be out uh, on PS4 and backward compatible on PS5, uh, as well as other platforms on January 20th. So go pick it up. Go give me people to be able to play against and prove how probably bad I am at When Jammers 2, but I can't stop playing. So I want to get a little better. Uh, But Cyril, thank you you so much again for joining me. Thank you very much. Congrats to the team again on the launch this week. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan, as always, for those interviews. Uh, moving on from there, I did want to touch on what y'all have been playing uh, in, in the past few weeks. And Matt, uh, because I did not know this until you had said it right before the show, I want to start with you. What did, what did you just beat? What game did you just beat? I literally beat at 1.30 a.m. this morning. I beat Death Stranding. Hey! 
Yeah. Uh, I liked it overall. I liked it a <laughs> lot. I think it starts better than it ends, but only because it the ending is difficult. Not like <laughs> not like difficult in the way the game is hard, but like difficult to get through in that like a Kojima game is difficult to get through at the end. <laughs> there are yeah. three credit sequences for the mm-hmm. same credits three times. It play there's it does it and you see the names and then you're like, oh okay, there's the credits and then you play some more and then there's the credits again for the same names. Mm-hmm. And then you play some more and then the third time the credits run again <laughs> for the same names. But each time it's just a little longer. I started at like 10.30 being like, I'm going to, I'm like right there at the end and I'm going to finish probably by like midnight maybe. Nope. Like one thirty, close to 2 was when I actually like finished, finished the game. It is a long finale and a finale yeah. you don't want to pause in because you're yeah. not sure. We won't spoil, of course, how it ends, but um, you you're not sure when it's going to exactly be over or if it's a good point to pause. Mm-hmm. So you want to mm-hmm. see it through, but yeah, it's like a two, three hour ending sequence. Yeah. Right. It's one of those, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's not, you weren't three hours till the end. You got to the end. The end is just three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, so did you, is this PS4 or the director's cut? Uh, I'm playing on PC. Uh, oh, I'm playing okay. the regular wow. version on the PC. Regular so no, yeah, it's so no director's cut yet because it didn't yeah. come out when I picked it up on the PC. But uh, definitely, ma- I I bought it on PS4 is where I started playing it, and I kept like early on when I was like still new to the game, I kept like messing up, and the load times were a nightmare, and it was just kind yeah. of like unfun to play on the PS4. And then on the PC, mm-hmm. I have it on an SSD, and it's just like lightning fast. And so even if yeah. I trip and fall and die. Uh, like immediately I can just start playing again, which really helps. Um, the director's cut wouldn't have changed anything about yeah. those last few hours anyway, so it's fine. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> that's what I hear. It's like a lot of like bonus stuff and like quality of life things, but not like uh, like story content changes or anything the, like that. There's a little bit of added story content, but it doesn't change anything. It, it's, uh, it's honestly, after playing it, no spoilers, it's content that's meant to be played after the ending anyways. So okay. it, it, it's perfect for you to eventually, once the director yeah. comes out later this year, to jump back in and do that. And it's like an hour long, to mm-hmm. be honest. It's very short, yeah. but it's uh, very I am cool. Ec- I am excited about, about checking the director's cut. I'm just really glad. This is the first Kojima game I've beaten all the way through. Me too. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yep. I uh, dug out my PS3 last night uh, and set it up because I have the PS3 version of the Metal Gear Solid Legacy Collection, which has Ooh, all the yeah. MGS nice. games. And I plan mm. on making my way through all the Metal Gear Solids. Uh, I'm sure nice. that'll be a journey. Ooh, good luck <laughs> well, to it's... you. Twin Snakes was the only one I could get through on the GameCube. So, very <laughs> well, excited. it's. It's a quiet year for games, so it's a, it's a good time. Yeah, to yeah there's nothing else to, else to do. Yeah, gonna yeah. do this like you know multi hundred hour series uh, while nothing is out. You know, not like anything coming out in like two yeah. weeks. Uh, sure. But no, yeah, I'm I'm glad you finished it. I I think I felt similarly to you by the end. Of, you know, played it a couple years back, but I I think I enjoyed the earlier parts of the game more than the end. Uh, maybe I guess I should have, knowing Kojima's reputation, expected some of what the end would do in terms of it. But I do think like the mixture of story and gameplay and Kojima eccentricities, mm-hmm. I felt was like better balanced in yeah. the those chapters where you're building roads and and exploring mm-hmm. some side quest stuff. I feel like that's the the best purest form of that game that I enjoy mm-hmm. the most, and I think it's really great. Um, but yeah, I do think it 
it loses its way a little bit here and there. It it, it turns a frustrating corner. Uh, yeah. I, I don't remember what chapter it is, but it, it's once you basically get to the snow. Oh, it, 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 yeah. It, frustrating in the sense that it, it, it does become incredibly boring to get through. It's very trudgy. It's slow. It's it, in a game where you already only walk. They then put you in snow <laughs> to make you walk yeah. even slower. <laughs> so the, the, the act of and yeah, Matt, I'm curious if this felt like it at all for you or something different. But yeah, like the act of building your path and forging your path in the beginning when it's roads and, and when you're more driving around and all that stuff to me mm-hmm. was way more satisfying than slowly getting mm-hmm. through snowstorms, occasionally putting a place down for like a hook line. But yep often being stuck with a rock in the way that I then had to move it and deal with it in a different place. A hundred percent. Like the walking stuff is clearly the game that was meant to be for me. Mm-hmm. For me, the frustrating thing about the ending was like, it's not a spoiler. There is combat in that game and it mm-hmm. gets it ramped up towards the end, but they don't like, but like, as we were talking about the walking and the trudge and the, and the foraging and the, and the road building, like that's the game. That's the main thing. Mm-hmm. And so the game doesn't actually, teach you combat like early on and then suddenly it's just like here's a bunch of it you know like you were you barely picked up a gun this entire like 20 hours you were playing but in this last like 10 hours you you need one at all times and so here it is and so i'm just Mm -hmm. like i don't want to do this but uh but no it was great time uh i uh i liked it i thought it was i thought it was cool i thought like it was beautiful and like the aesthetics were super neat and i love i'm uh, I'm shopping for mountain gear now because <laughs> of how much I've been playing it. Uh, but yeah, I'm really excited for the director's cut. But uh, yeah, really, really glad that I, I sucked that through to the end, actually. It, yeah. was, uh, it was worthwhile. I oh. mean, I, I get it. You need it with the San Francisco hills. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Absolutely. It's hard enough as it is to walk through. Mm, um, I need climbing boots. <laughs> Jada, what about you? What have you been playing? Uh, so I've just re-dipped my toes into League of Legends, PC, but whatever. Uh, so get, got bit by that bug again. So I was up till six this morning playing that because uh, I just was hooked. Um, you beat Matt. <laughs> I did. I did. Um, <laughs> you know, three, four hours of sleep. That, that's good enough for my robot body. Um, and then Dying Light and Demon Souls are my other ones. I actually finished Demon Souls over the last weekend. Uh, nice. But... I had to reload my cloud save before I beat it because I forgot to pick up the sword from Old King Alant. Mm. I don't know if you if you remember I that. I do know. Mark. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I forgot to pick that up, and I went back to to the Nexus, so it disappeared. So I had to reload an old trophy save, and I was like, <laughs> "All right, well, if I had to go back, I went ended up going back and doing taking my all my worlds to pure black and pure white tendency." And killing all the primeval demons and getting all the oh, wow. bonus stuff. Um, the only thing I have left to do before I actually roll credits now is killing all the NPCs in the world um, as part of the Mephistopheles quest. I think that's how you say the NPC's name. But yeah, sure. if you kill, yeah, there's a whole quest line for if you take your character pure black, an NPC will show up in the Nexus and is like, "Hey, I have a hit list. I want you to assassinate all these people," and they give you a bunch of rewards for assassinating all the NPCs. Um, so don't kill the NPCs before you get to, you're ready to do that in your game. Also, uh, after you kill them, obviously you can't access your storage or repair some of your gear or swap out your spells or miracles. So be ready to 
have everything perfectly set for your new game plus before you do that quest. <laughs> From soft. <laughs> Yeah. It's yeah, it is a I, I have not jumped into all of that side stuff. I don't know if I'll get to before uh Elden Ring, but I am incredibly impressed that you were able to get through all that. Uh and <laughs> please get some sleep. I'll think about it. All right. <laughs> uh Mark, what about you? What have you been playing? It it felt weird to type it on the dock because I was like, wait, I typed this two weeks ago, but it is Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which <laughs> is completely in the realm of acceptability for me to continue to say that i am still playing that game it is incredibly long so i'm mostly still planking away at that i was telling my friend last night i was like it's starting to wear in i was i was loving it and i still do but as anybody that's played it you know that the first 30 hours of it are it has almost nothing to do with Avor's actual story. It's her going to places and solving their problems to create alliances. So then you solve one and then you're like, all right, time to go to the next one and figure out what's wrong there. So you meet a whole new set of characters. And so I'm on like, I don't know, like the fifth one of those. And I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> it's, it's definitely. And he's like, yeah, you haven't even. He's like, to be honest, you, you've barely even started the game. He's like, because the first 30 hours are you recruiting everybody. He's like, and then it becomes the actual like Assassin's Creed part of the story. And that sucks because there's a lot of games coming out that is going to pull me away for sure. So I don't think I'm going to beat it. And then I'm still playing a ton of Halo because that game is just damn delightful. There's a new mode called Attrition How and you? it is great. I need to what? play Attrition. I'm excited. It's fun. Um, it's it's yeah. interesting, but it's really fun. So. Nice. Uh, and then I'm playing uh, two secret games just because I know people love hearing uh, <laughs> that we have games we're not allowed to talk about. I will say this is a funny tangent. Uh, I've noticed games Twitter does that a lot more in the last year or two. People being like, I'm playing a game I can't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, what's really funny is as, since I used to cover TV a lot, that was a thing that TV Twitter would do all the time. Mm-hmm. And it happened like the the sort of like frustrations with it boiled over maybe like six or seven years ago and everyone was just sick of it. And people were like (laughs) critics were fighting with other critics about how awful it was to do. And it is funny to slowly start seeing that conversation happen with like games, Twitter again. I'm like, Oh, we're just, Mm -hmm. we're just in for it again. Um, Yeah. There's those weird social media embargoes that a lot of companies do where it's like on this day, you're allowed to publicly tweet that you have the game and you can like take a picture of it and stuff like that. And so it's like half the games industry is like, I'm officially playing ghost of Tsushima. And the other half is like, why Braggers, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Shut up. No one cares. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, there's just no winning. It's a weird time for that stuff. And the small contingent yep. of people who are playing ghost of Tsushima, but don't tweet about it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, yeah, just on my my front, uh, in the catch up for PlayStation games coming out soon, uh, I've been playing the Uncharted trilogy uh, with my girlfriend because she never played those before. So we beat Uncharted two, uh, and immediately started into Uncharted three. Uh, All downhill pl- from there. <laughs> Only because Uncharted two is my oh, favorite. And I love, so, like, I love Uncharted like, four so much. So. <laughs> Uncharted 2, the really interesting thing is I think the highs of it are phenomenal, but there are more lows than I remembered. Mm-hmm. I like 
the the train sequence still phenomenal still like for what it was doing at the time an incredible piece of technology it ends in such a like unfair fight sequence mm-hmm. um <clears throat> with a guy who can you're in a very cramped uh space with there are only like two hide spots and basically unless you have like perfect dodge timing he'll kill mm-hmm. you in one shot and it just like after this really exciting sequence it can be such a momentum stopper um same with like the Lazarevich fight. I don't think is that great at the end. I, I th- that's you know an old take, but I, I do think still holds. Mm-hmm. But like the train sequence, the opening is still incredible. I still think it's one of my favorite like openings in a game. Mm-hmm. Um, the train sequence is really great. I think the the banter between Chloe, Elena, and Drake is really fun. Even if this is the worst sexualization when it comes to Chloe, I'm so glad they right. stopped doing that as the series went on. Um, but it, yeah, there, there are really, really great highs about it. I will say I'm enjoying sort of the, the confidence. It feels like Naughty Dog is working with at three. Mm-hmm. It feels like in terms of the most satisfying to play just like second to second, even if I don't think the, mm-hmm. the opening is as memorable, I think it is more clean and, and more refined in a way that yeah. clearly they evolved over the trilogy on a gameplay my, level. My only thing with three is that they clearly made the bad guy modeled after Helen Mirren and just never acknowledged it. Oh, right? yeah. No, it's absolutely <laughs> and it's, Helen and it's, yeah. and it's just weird that they just don't, like, want to talk about it. Or, like, yeah, you just, like, made your character Helen Mirren, right? And they're like... <laughs> and it's not. Yeah, it's and funny it's when not. Helen Mirren's Interview voice over. doesn't come out of it. Interview over. <laughs> We're not going to talk to you. Get out of here. And I'm just, I, just think it, I just think that just really puts me out, pulls me out of the whole thing. I don't know why. It is I very assume... funny to say. I assume the plan is to play four in Lost Legacy with Legacy of Thieves. That is the plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna try Since to be, like what a week out or something. It's yeah. It's uh, nine end days. of next week. Yeah, nine days. So yeah, the I think we can beat Uncharted three by then. We're already like a third of the way through. Nice, uh, yeah. So, but we are collecting every single treasure. I cannot go oh, past okay. the treasure. So okay, that well does, then you, I, I think it'll be perfect timing then. Yeah, That's great. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're doing that, and then play. I just beat uh, the Frozen Wilds DLC for Horizon last night, which I had never played when it came out. Uh, just mm-hmm. like bad timing, and I never got to it, and then kept putting it off, and was like, I should do this before forbidden west and if you are like me and put it off but have the complete edition you know which was free for everyone over the last year or so uh play the frozen wilds dlc it is i think some of the best of horizon zero dawn it's Um, very good mm -hmm. some of the quests are the most interesting side quests i think the the cauldron platforming which is not great in the base game they it's still not amazing because it's somewhat limited, but they made a very interesting level to jump around in. It is a much mm-hmm. better constructed level. Uh, the fights are way more, I think, dynamic and interesting in, in, in a fun way that put me through my paces. Whereas in the, the base game, by the end of it, everything kind of felt really easy. Um, How'd them bears treat you? Those bears are so hard, but they're really cool. <laughs> they're the frost so claws. much fun to fight. Yeah, they are so dynamic in like a really interesting way to take down. Um, and I think get close to sort of the like almost Monster Hunter-esque nature of, of what those fights can be, but in the Horizon gameplay. Uh, and I also think it has just some of the best like writing and, and conversations in that game. Uh, the the AI that you meet in there, I guess without spoiling too much, you meet another AI. There's a conversation you can have at them with them at the end that you can ask like 10 questions I sat there for 45 minutes asking every single question and got done and was like, oh, I want more from this character. I like genuinely <laughs> loved yep. that AI. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good. I really, really recommend if you haven't played it and you were silly like me, go play Frozen Wilds. Mm-hmm. The The main thrust of it, you can probably get through in like six hours or so. And then there's 
probably double the amount of side content. Uh, go play it. It's really fun. It's a really great primer. And I think shows like, oh, this is what Gorilla did six months after Horizon Zero Dawn. Man, a couple years after with Forbidden West, it really, really got me excited. So go play that. And you still Sweet. have enough time to play through the entire Horizon before Forbidden West drops. You do. It is you possible. Do. You definitely yes. do. You probably can't play too much else, but it is possible. If yes. you go for the yep. Platinum, at least. But yeah, go uh, play Horizon, because we're going to be talking about Forbidden West a ton when it comes out, and I can't wait. Uh, but I think that pretty much wraps us up for this week's episode. Uh, before before we end, is there anything, uh, Jade, I'll start with you, just anything you want to point people to on IGN? Anything to remind people of? Anything you want to shout out? Uh, not at the moment. I've got some stuff cooking, but uh, nothing that is ready to pull out the oven. Fair enough. Uh, Mark? What about yeah, you? It, same. It's it went it went from very slow to now it's gotten a lot busier and but a lot of those things are just kind of behind the scenesy stuff that you know it's not something we'll get there. if I if I told you right now you wouldn't care <laughs> so it's fine <laughs> I'm not trying to tease this epic thing but it's uh, just you know there's just some stuff that people are working on and that I'm working on so yeah no totally. Uh, Matt, anything on your end? Obviously, people should go check out the the awesome, really comprehensive coverage that you all did for the the Activision Xbox deal. But anything from that, or anything particular you want to shout out? Uh, thank you. Uh, no, uh, I'm in the I'm in the same boat. This is one of those early times in the years where we're all planning things and getting things sorted for for later down later down the line. So. Likewise, I also have things that I am working on behind the scenes, and I'm very excited for people to see them. But I'm not ready to talk about them. Fair enough. Man, now I have to do the same thing. Anyway, uh, I will say I am working on another Art of the Level that I think PlayStation fans will be excited about. So uh, look out for that. It'll probably drop in between episodes, uh, in between this episode and next week. Um, So if you've enjoyed those, please look forward to this one. It's shaping up really, really well. And if you haven't watched those, uh, I've done... Uh, Last of Us Part 2 and A Ghost of Tsushima 1. Uh, they're some of my favorite things I've ever done in IGN, so go check those out. Uh, it's really, really great insight from the developers and just amazing edits uh, by Pat Coughlin. And wonderful, such specific capture that is so essential to making those work from our own Mark Medina. Yeah, um, I was going to say, the one, the one that's upcoming, I just saw the first cut of it yesterday, and uh, it is very good. Yeah, it's, it's really, really shipping up super well, and I'm excited for that. And uh, some other big things for people to look forward to in the coming weeks. But that is going to pretty much wrap us up for this week's episode. Uh, in between beyonds, you can find us all on Twitter. I'm at JM Dornbush. Jada is at Jada underscore Rena. Mark is Mark underscore Medina. And Matt is Law of TD. Uh, thank you all so much for joining me for this episode. Thank you to Kate, our producer, for making this show happen. And thank you to everyone out there for listening and for watching. We hope you're doing well. We hope you're staying safe. And as always, beyond. 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 Afar. Matt. Mm -mm. (laughs) Start the show over. Hi, it's Jennifer, a founder of Go Kid Go and a mom to two kids. Join my family on the story train with Calm Conductor Birdie each night as we travel through the magic rainbow tunnel to everywhere and anywhere to find the best bedtime stories. Search for Story Train on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank <laughs> you.